My name is Dwayne Milioni. Yeah, thank you. Smattering applause if you're curious. I've been away on sabbatical, and uh, it is so very, very good to be back. I want to thank the elders for giving uh, this time for me to get away and get some needed rest, as well as work on a writing project. I, I got a lot done. And as you can tell, I visit some of our church plants. We visit five church plants uh, during my sabbatical. And to be there on a Sunday morning is really special for them. And I just am so grateful that uh, you all provided that for me. And now we are more than excited about the fall. And we have hit the ground running this past week. And uh, we're looking forward to a very fruitful uh, fall with you all. We're going to be studying the book of Galatians. Uh, feel free even now, if you didn't get a notebook, to go grab one and start taking notes this morning. This will be helpful to you. If you're visiting, uh, welcome. If I have not met you yet, please introduce yourself to me, especially if you've been here uh, in the summer and uh, I haven't had a chance to say hi to you. Uh, if this is your first time, welcome to Open Door. Give us a month and uh, investigate all that God is doing here. You might find that uh, this is the place where you belong. I'm really excited about this fall study. Uh, we're going to be focusing on the essence of the gospel. Now, I'm going to do something. Pastor Chris thinks I'm putting on my professor hat here because I'm going to give you some homework, right? Now, listen, don't let that worry you because I'm giving you until December to complete your homework assignment. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me two definitions of the gospel, right? Now, the first definition of the gospel, you have to define it in 15 words or less, the gospel is, and you get 15 words or less to tell me what the gospel is. The second definition, you get 50 words or less, okay? The gospel is, and you get 50 words or less. Now, here's what I want you to th th keep in mind. Imagine you're telling someone who's not a Christian what the gospel is, and you are going to be able in 15 words or less, if that's all your conversation has, to give them enough to know what it means to be saved. Or if you have a little bit longer conversation, you can give them a fuller understanding of the gospel. All right, now, this is going to be harder than you realize. I've already been working on mine, and I keep thinking like, oh, I want to change that word or take that out. I need to add this. All right, so it's going to take some time, but it is going to be super fruitful for you to do this. And listen, by the end, you're going to be able to share with anybody the gospel in a full sense. And I think that will be super helpful for you as you witness to others. It's going to help you in your own personal devotional life because imagine trying to rethink and rework what the gospel is throughout the entire fall. I mean, it's really going to help you. Now, children and youth, I want you to do this as well. So I want to make this a family thing. So children, you are responsible as well. You can even start using your notebooks and you give me a definition of what the gospel is. I want you as families to discuss it. And I just think it's going to add tremendous value and uh, fruit for our church. All right. Now, one of the reasons why I'm having you to do this is because I need to make sure that you 
can identify a false gospel. I need for you to have the type of ears to know when the gospel is being distorted. And, and sometimes the distortion of the gospel is very subtle, right? And in Galatians, as we study this, is going to help us to, to work through that. So just let me ask you, how would you know? How would you know when someone is talking about Christianity, but really they're not giving you the truth about it, or they've added something to the gospel that makes it no gospel at all? Friends, today, as we begin our study, I just want to encourage you by talking about what it means to be rescued from our sin by way of Christ's gospel, and then committing ourselves that we will never, ever deter from it. I want to read Galatians chapter 1, these first 10 verses. The Apostle Paul writes what I believe is very first letter to the churches with a sense of urgency as he's being led by the Holy Spirit to do so. Listen, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, a curse be upon him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be upon him. For now am I trying to persuade people or God? Am I striving to please people? And if I were striving to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, your word is powerful. The gospel that can rescue us is contained in this book. And now I, I pray, Spirit of God, please be our teacher and help us to know this gospel and help us to know when we're hearing something that's not this gospel. Transform us by your power so that we as a church would become mature and that we as a church would become motivated to tell others who are being taught that which is false, the truth, that they might be rescued as well. Be with my church family. I miss them and I, I love them so much. Guide us as we study this fall in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, every 
letter that you have in the New Testament is, has a story attached to it. The letters that we have in the New Testament are, are written to churches, and there's always a unique scenario as to why the letter was written. Let me tell you the story of Galatians. The Apostle Paul, who was radically converted and then spent a dozen years or more preparing for ministry, was a part of a church at a city called Antioch. It was a fellow named Barnabas who was discipling Paul. And eventually, the, the leaders, the elders at Antioch, sent Paul and Barnabas out on what we call his first missionary journey. And they went to their, their home cities, and they began proclaiming the gospel, and, and something that hadn't happened before, something that hadn't happened for thousands of years, <laughs> began to happen. Gentiles began to believe. And as Gentiles began to believe... Paul and Barnabas gathered them and assembled them and instructed them, and they started churches. And they made their way over into an area of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, places where we have been, many of us here at Open Door. And they began to proclaim the gospel and start churches in what was called Southern Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. And so these, these, these churches filled with brand new believers who were experiencing the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, they began to gather, they began to, to find instruction, and, and, and it was just absolutely incredible as Paul was fulfilling his commission by Christ. Well, now the antagonists of the story come in. The bad guys show up. There were a group of men that came from Jerusalem and Judea, and they had come up to visit the churches, the Gentile churches in southern Galatia. And when they were arrived, they were shocked at a couple of things. For instance, they noticed that these Gentiles were eating whatever they wanted. Can I get an amen? Yeah, they were having barbecue Sunday. And it shocked these Jews who claimed to be Christians that they were just eating whatever they wanted and they were not celebrating some of the traditional Jewish celebrations, the new moon festivals and, 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 and the annual feasts. And here's the most shocking thing of all. <laughs> they learned that these church-going men had not been circumcised. And they actually began to confront the believers and saying to them, look, you've missed it. If you're not circumcised, you have no relationship with God. And they would take him all the way back to Abraham. Look, Abraham was circumcised. Look, Moses, he talked about it. And by the way, Moses wrote all this stuff about here's what you do and here's what you don't do. You, you, you don't understand. You haven't been given the full truth. And then they began to question Paul's authority. Well, yeah, Paul, I get it. Yeah, he's had a radical conversion. But listen, Paul never came from Jerusalem. I mean, he wasn't trained by Peter or James or John. So I know he calls himself an apostle, but I don't really know if he is. And by the way, he's not telling you everything you need to know. There are certain things you must do if you're going to be right with God. And guess what? <laughs> These new believers started to do them to the point where they even began to question what Paul had taught them. Now, I got to be honest, I find myself aligned with Paul here as a pastor. You know, 
any faithful pastor devotes his life to his people, his congregation. And, and, and one of the things that we do is that we, we shepherd you and we instruct you in God's word. Like week in, week out, for 23 years, I've been doing this. And occasionally what happens is someone from my own church will listen to something or read something or go to some conference or event and come back thinking, maybe I want to hear more about that or delve into more of that. And they begin to question whether or not they've been given the fullness of the Bible or the gospel at the church. And then to watch them sort of go astray and it's heartbreaking, but I've seen this happen. Well, this is what happened to the churches in Galatia. And when Paul got back to Antioch, which where was his home church, he began to hear these things and he was furious about it. And so he picks up his letter, his pen, and he writes this letter to all the churches in Galatia so that they could read what he wrote and pass it around and hopefully repent of listening to these really bad influences that had come to their churches and changed. As a matter of fact, this led to a huge event that would take place a few years later because uh, Paul and Barnabas and the leaders of the church at Antioch decided to travel all the way to Jerusalem to confront the other apostles as to whether or not the gospel had really come to the Gentiles. And Paul even had to confront Peter himself because Peter began to hedge on the true gospel. And fortunately, Peter repented and eventually agreed with Paul. And the good news was eventually at this grand council in Jerusalem around AD 50, everyone agreed that the spirit of God had come to the Gentiles and then they don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to, need to follow certain dietary rituals. They just need to have faith and believe. And, and, and because of that, Paul then was set free to continue to plant churches and my friends, if Paul had not stopped to write this letter to the Galatian churches, I'm convinced you wouldn't be here today. That's how important this letter is because Paul had to make sure these people got the gospel right. And the reason why I'm gonna share it with you is because I wanna make sure that you get the gospel right. And so let's dive in. And let's begin by celebrating this, this wonderful sense of how we find rescue by way of Christ's gospel. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now, Paul, an apostle, and the reason why he begins that way, as he does in many of his letters, is because he is stating and defending his apostolic authority, which was being questioned by these bad teachers whom we're going to call Judaizers, right? That's the, the name we're going to give these people, Judaizers. And the reason why we're going to call them Judaizers is because what they wanted in, in coming to the churches of Galatia is they wanted to convert these Gentiles into Judaism. 
They were more concerned that they become Jewish than they become Christian. They were more concerned that they adopt their ways to conform to the law of Moses than the law of Christ. And so we call them Judaizers. And they were demanding things like circumcision, which in essence, they didn't really even understand what that was for. Because if you remember our study in Genesis, and there's a reason why we studied Genesis before Galatians, because Galatians in the New Covenant is Genesis in the Old Covenant. And to understand our, uh, what happened in Genesis, it, it wasn't that Abraham was circumcised and God declared him just. It was that Abraham did what? He believed and God declared him just. So these Judaizers, they didn't even understand what happened to Abraham. And so Paul is going to set the record straight, but they're now saying to the church members in Galatia, well, Paul really doesn't have the credentials to be a true apostle. And so Paul's going to say, "Uh, excuse me, yes, I do. I'm an apostle, (laughs) but I haven't been appointed by you. I haven't been appointed by any man or any group of men, but by Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, there is this unique gift that God gave the church, and this gift is called apostle. Ephesians 4, 11 describes it. There are apostles and prophets and pastors and and evangelists, and Paul was an apostle. Now, apostles were this, this unique group of individuals who Two things had happened. One, they had seen the resurrected Christ, and two, they were commissioned by Christ himself. Those two things had to happen in order to be an apostle. You had to have laid eyes on the resurrected Jesus, and you had to have been commissioned. Like Jesus said, go do this. Now, of course, uh, Peter and James and John and the 12 disciples, they were all apostles. They had both seen the resurrected Christ, and they were commissioned by Christ. Now, what about Paul? First of all, had Paul seen the resurrected Christ? What's the answer? Absolutely. On the way to Damascus, when he was going to persecute Christians, Christ confronted him and he converted it and converted him. And he's saying, and did Jesus commission Paul? Yes. To be his emissary, his ambassador to the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, Paul was sent for us. And so, of course, Paul can say, I have apostolic authority, just like the other apostles. Now, just as an aside Sometimes you'll still hear use that, that, that word apostle being used today, and some people will claim to be an apostle, and I don't know what they mean by that. They're not. Okay, I just, let's just make things simple. If you haven't seen the resurrected Christ, and if you haven't been commissioned by Christ verbally, you ain't an apostle. And so this, we're just not going to allow that word to be used. I think I understand why people use it. It's just confusing. All right, so Paul was the last, and I find it interesting that he calls himself the last. All right, so after Paul, no more apostles. And he says then, I'm an apostle, and I'm writing with all the brothers who are with me. Then he's at church, right? He's at church at home in Antioch, writing this letter, probably talking about Barnabas, his mentor, who he went to the churches of Galatia, maybe some of his other church planting friends. It could have been the elders of his church that that are with him. But anyway, all the companions of Paul are in agreement with this letter 
letter, and he's writing it to the churches, plural, of Galatia, okay? And, um, and he says to them in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a, a formal greeting that Paul will often give, and it's just not just a hello, because he really does desire for them to experience grace and peace. Now, we know what grace is, right? Grace is the gospel. And maybe this is a word that you should use in your definition. I don't know. I mean, it is grace that saves us, not by works, right? Grace is that free gift that God gives. Grace is when God chooses, not based on anything that you have done or who you are. God chooses to favor you. Matter of fact, he chooses to save you. And he gives you a free gift that you did not deserve. That's grace. And you know what results from grace? What do you think? What's the next word? Peace. Peace. Peace is the result of grace. Once God has favored you and saved you, the result is a, a relationship that you have with God as father. And that relationship brings you peace. Grace leads to peace. No grace, no what? Don't be caught up with the world's desire to find peace. It's a, it's a nice thought. But you cannot reject the gospel and then end up at peace, can you? No grace, no peace. Would you share that with someone this week? Are you at peace? Maybe they would say no. Well, you, friend, you need the grace of God because with God's grace comes peace. And then in verse four, um, he, he gives a definition of the gospel. All right, so I've already given you homework. You can start taking notes. Now, He's got grace from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Now, what is it about Jesus Christ? He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is one of many definitions of the gospel that Paul will give. And I find in here some really important aspects of the gospel. Did you see them? The origin of our salvation. It originates in the divine will of God. Your salvation didn't originate in your mind. Your salvation originated before you even were, before the foundation of the world, your name was written down. Your salvation originated from the divine will of God. And what was the will of God? Huh. To send his son to take your place on a cross. It was the will of the father that Jesus would suffer and die 
on your behalf to become the atoning sacrifice of your sins. And what is this sacrifice of the son? To give himself freely and fully to pay for your sins. And what is the result of that sacrifice? You are rescued from yourself and you are rescued from Satan and his power. You are rescued from this present evil age. And what is the purpose of all of this? To get to heaven? Yeah, that's the secondary purpose. The primary purpose of your salvation is to bring God glory. Now that's the gospel. <laughs> that's a beautiful definition of the gospel. All of this takes place that God would be given glory. You see, in the end, if you're saved, all you are is a trophy of God's grace. That's what you are. How many of you were at Melanie's funeral on Thursday? Raise your hand. Thank you so much. That meant so much to the family. 600 plus people showed up. We celebrated her life. She truly was and is a trophy of God's grace. One of our church members came to me and that was just the other day and said, I, I just was overwhelmed at the funeral service. She said, I'd only been to funeral services of lost people. I've never been to a funeral service of a Christian. I said, well, what was the difference? She goes, oh, I, I can't even begin to explain to you the difference. It was completely different because we're, we're, we're celebrating life and we're even celebrating death. How about that? We're celebrating death because it all conforms to the glory of God for his people. That's why we exist, by the way. You exist to bring glory to God and glory belongs to God alone. God's glory is this comprehensive expression of who he is, his majesty, his radiance, his holiness, his righteousness. This is glory it radiates from him. And he's the only one who has it. And, and, and this is why when, when Paul starts thinking about the gospel and all that God has done according to his will through his son for us, he just simply says, to God be the glory, amen. To God be the glory, period. So, okay, you got some work to do on your definition. Are you going to add some of these elements in it? We find our rescue in this gospel. But now, we must never, ever deter from this gospel. Never, ever turn from this gospel. Listen to what he begins to write in verse 6. Now, again, I'm about to share with you one of Paul's most um, pointed and harshest statements. All right? So, it is what it is. I want you to receive this as he wrote it. He says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ. That phrase is important. The grace of Christ. He's going to repeat that. And that you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. 
ingrain that in your hearts. Now, now Paul, he, he typically writes his letters with the blessing and all of his other letters, he gives an introduction, then he gives a blessing or a thanksgiving. You know what he does in Galatians? He begins with a curse. And he's furious and he's letting him know. He's just so amazed that these Judaizers so quickly influence the church that, that, that they would even consider changing the gospel that, they had, that he had given them. He says, I can't believe you are considering throwing away the gospel of Christ for whatever garbage these people have come and, and, and tried to, to impress upon you. How, how quickly you've gone AWOL from what would give you life. Some of the old translations use the word desertion. It's actually, Paul is, is referencing a military term here. I, I, I looked up AWOL, and that's when a soldier leaves, right, his duty. And did you know that in a time of war, if a soldier goes AWOL, leaves his service, leaves his fellow soldiers, he can be put to death. That is a crime punishable by death. That's how serious it is. Well, guess what? That's how serious it is to Paul because when you go away from this gospel, you've condemned yourself. You've condemned yourself. It is a matter of life and death. That's why his language is so strong. I'm amazed that you've deserted the gospel of Christ. You've listened to these guys and you're actually beginning to believe what they have to say. I can't believe you throw away grace and adopt some works-oriented legalism into your faith. He says, this, this isn't no gospel. In verse seven, this can't even be called a gospel. And these people who come troubling you and they, they want to distort the gospel of Christ that I gave to you. Now, and this is how it works. And this is how it has worked from history past to the very present. You've got biblical Christianity and you have everything else. Biblical Christianity, everything else. Every other philosophy and world system, it's the same thing. A religion is a philosophy. A philosophy is a religion. But you have biblical Christianity and everything else. Here's the equation, biblical Christianity. Faith equals salvation. Here's everything else. Faith or belief in whatever plus works, human merit equals salvation or whatever the offer is. All right. The way we'll talk about it is this. Faith plus works equals salvation. Faith equals salvation. One will give you life. The other will damn you to hell. Now, it's that serious. It's that serious. And so Paul is saying, I cannot believe that you would begin to adopt a works-oriented salvation as if you have anything to offer God in saving you. That you would allow someone to distort this Simple, blessed truth that faith and faith in Christ alone leads to your justification? How did you let this happen? 
see, the, the problem is that to add anything to this gospel is to poison it. It is to change it. It's not like there are multiple gospels. There either is the true one and the others that aren't. And these Judaizers had so quickly convinced them to distort the gospel that Paul had given them by simply adding a few things. Come on, you got to be circumcised. Come on, you got to avoid eating this. Come on, just celebrate these things. Put these things on your calendar. Then you're good. No, Paul says now you're damned by doing it because you're doing it thinking that this saves you. I, look, I like to cook. A lot of you know that. And I'm, I'm what you call a creative cook, which means I don't always follow recipes. And that can be good or bad. There are times when I'm cooking and I'm thinking, you know what, I just need to add a little this. And it just really ruins everything. And then Paul's, then after Kay has to eat it. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's interesting. <laughs> Sometimes it's that little addition. <laughs> it ruins everything, doesn't it? And let me just, just a drop of cyanide. That's all I'm going to put in your water. Just a drop. Come on. Less than 1%, right? Kay and I were in Japan a few years back, serving some missionaries there. And, and I'm talking to with a guy and he's like, hey, look, we need to get some sushi. I'm like, absolutely. He goes, I want you to try puffer fish. I'm like, so puffer fish, that's like the thing that's like super deadly, right? If you eat it, you die. He goes, oh yeah, it's super most deadly thing you can eat. I'm like, okay, what? And he's like, no, I, there's a guy and they can cut it just right, super thin, and he knows exactly how to cut it so you won't die. I said, but if, what if he cuts it wrong? <laughs> well, you would die, but he, but he doesn't. I was like, so I'm going to pass on that. There's a hard pass here. Because it's just that little, like, I don't know. I'm not a puffer fish expert. I don't know, like, how, what's, what is thin enough. Just, you add one thing that you must do to be saved, and you're, you're not saved and you're never saved. That has got to sink in. You have nothing to offer God. It is by his grace and the grace of Christ alone that saves you. That is where we begin. And Paul says, I can't believe you're distorting this. To add any human merit or work to Christ's gospel is to say the work of Christ on the cross is incomplete. It denies salvation is a gift of grace. It tells you that God messed up. He didn't get it right. Unless you come to the place where you humbly admit, I cannot save myself. There's nothing that I can do. Have mercy upon me, God. Then you're as far off from heaven as you've ever been. It is only there where you know you are utterly dependent upon the grace of God that you begin to recognize your lostness. And if you're not a Christian, I, that's good news for you. Because part of you not being a Christian, first of all, not understanding what Christ has done for you, like you really need to, 
And a part of it is you're feeling like, I'm just never going to be good enough to be a Christian like some people I know. So throw that out. It's not about being good enough. You're not. We're not. I'm not. It's about Jesus being good enough for you. I'm pleading with you. Don't walk away from this place of worship condemned. The curse of your sin can be removed by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. You can believe that right now. Right now. But don't add anything to your gospel. Now, look at what Paul says in verse 8. And he's getting serious now. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary. Underline that. Highlight that in your phone. A gospel contrary. That's important. Even if we, Paul basically saying, if I come back to you, me and Barnabas, if we come back to you and preach a different gospel, I'm cursed. Even if an angel from heaven should come down to you and preach something different than we preach to you, a curse be upon him. The old translations use the word anathema. It means you're condemned. If anyone were to give you a gospel different than what I've given you, let that person be condemned. Cursed. It's a strong word. As we've said before, verse 9, I'm going to say it one more time. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be upon him. Don't even let me come back to you and give you a different gospel. If an angel from heaven came down, because Jewish tradition sort of had this sense where angels came down with God's inspired word and uh, author of Hebrews talks about in other places and it was just a, kind of a Jewish thing. But, but listen, actually, guess what? It had happened in the past. An angel from heaven had come down and given a, a certain couple a different gospel. That couple was Adam and Eve. And who was the angel? Yes, <laughs> Yes, and Satan twisted the gospel, and what happened? We all were cursed. We all became cursed. Let's go back to Genesis, right? So it's actually happened in the past. And Paul's saying, don't let it now. Don't let it happen again. If you allow anyone to distort the gospel of Christ, that person should be cursed because it will result in you being cursed if you believe it. Now, Paul's not doing anything that Jesus didn't do. When, when Jesus, on his earthly ministry, teaching, loving, shepherding, showing care and compassion for the needy and the oppressed, and absolutely hating the Pharisees, he did all of that. Did he not? These legalists that were continuing to, to lead Jews in darkness, in the bondage of legalism, what did Jesus say? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You'll travel over land and sea to make one convert, and when he becomes one of your converts, you make him twice as much a child of hell as you are. There's your meek and mild Jesus right there. How dare you curse others by your cursed gospel? He wouldn't allow it. So Paul concludes in verse 10 by saying this. I love this. He just basically cursed anybody who disagrees with him. He goes, okay, am I pleasing people now? 
they all come to you and say, the reason why I don't give you the whole truth is because I'm a people pleaser? Because does that sound like people pleasing you? You'd be damned if you don't believe what I, what I preach to you. Does that sound like a people pleaser? Now listen, Paul gave up that whole fear of man pleasing people when he stopped being a Pharisee. I'll explain that next week. Well, Paul lived to please God and God alone. You'll hear me teach this in a few weeks. Paul's, he said, I am crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. I'm not striving to please people. If I were still striving to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So this, this letter now is going to help us know the true gospel, hopefully believe the true gospel, and know when it's being distorted. And we've got a long way to go, but I'm just going to give you some categories that we'll build upon as to when the gospel becomes distorted and, um, or, or changed. And it can happen by the gospel being weakened or diluted or distorted or perverted, all right? So just, just to begin the discussion... We have to be very sensitive to anyone that would weaken the gospel. Now, what does that, how does that happen? Well, typically people weaken the gospel when they weaken who Jesus is. Anyone who would deny the fundamental facts that Jesus is divine, born of a virgin, performed miracles, died as a substitute on the cross for you, was buried and rose physically on the third day, has ascended and now reigns with the Father on high. These fundamental truths must be in place to be the gospel of Christ. And in any, anything away from that is a weakening of the gospel to say Jesus wasn't God or didn't do any of these things. Or secondly, by diluting it. How, how do people dilute the gospel? Well, they dilute the gospel by um, denying that the Bible is our authoritative source of truth. Because the gospel of Christ is the gospel of the Christ of the Bible. Not just whoever you want Jesus to be. The gospel of Jesus is the gospel of the Jesus of the Bible. It's the only source that we have to know who he is. So if you, if you change Jesus by weakening him or diluting what the Bible says about him or disagreeing with the Bible, then, then, then you've run the gospel. Now, or distorting it, you distort the gospel when you misrepresent it. That's what the Judaizers were doing. They were um, misrepresenting it and, 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 or adding to it. And typically it's adding, like it's faith plus, faith plus. Right, we gotta be sensitive to that. And finally, perverting it. And, and the perversion of the gospel is always something that you have to do to be saved. Like some sort of human merit. Like, okay, you know, I'm, my family's Roman Catholic from, from the background. I'm gonna do my fair share of loving and bashing on Roman Catholicism during our study in Galatians because that's what they do. That's what they do. They poison the gospel by adding, you got to pray this prayer, you got to be, you know, baptized, you got to do all this stuff. The sacraments, you got to do all that. No, you don't, no. That's a, that's a perversion of it. So what I, what I want us to do 
And I want us to get to the point where we say the gospel can only be this. I know what it is. I believe what it is. I will not allow it to be perverted. Now, you may reject it. Unfortunately, that's on you. Don't pervert it. Don't alter it. Don't change it. It's the gospel that will rescue you. It's the gospel that will rescue others if you know how to share it with them. Let's pray. Spirit of God, help us as we begin this journey. A lot of ground to cover, a lot to learn. And yet we, we're going to leave this place and enter a lost world. And so many need to hear. Give us the boldness, the care, the love, even now to begin sharing with others and inviting them. Say, come, you got to come to my church. You got to hear what one of my pastors' teachings Bring them. Father, just please mature our church. Do a good work here as we study this letter together. In Jesus' name, amen.